at the end of the day, I truly believe that, and also from what I've been able to see, it's similar to how children may learn or pick up behaviors from their parents, and it's exactly how employees learn directly from their leaders. Welcome to Dear Human Resources, a show about HR topics and current trends. Our guests are practitioners and researchers who share their in-depth knowledge and experience with the goal of giving you an insider's look at human resources. I'm your host, Marilyn Germain. There is a common misconception that a company's people make its culture. In reality, culture, especially the culture of a startup company, begins and trickles down from the very top, a company's founder. And that founder's personality, including their emotional maturity, can lift the organization's culture or destroy it. So how can founders identify whether their personalities are positively impacting their culture and how can they make changes if needed? That's what we're going to discuss with Sophie Teen, an award-winning people management expert and author of The Soul of Startups, The Untold Stories of How Founders Affect Culture. Welcome, Sophie. Hello, hello. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited to be here. You say that personalities of startup founders shape the realities of working in a fast-growing company. Can you give some examples of founders' personalities or personality traits that are assets for startups? Yeah, for sure. I love this question. There definitely has to be more than just a 10, for example, in the book that I've written about. But to make it more relatable, I've basically listed 10 types of founders that carries different personalities, different traits that kind of affected the way of thinking and ultimately managing their companies. So some of the notable ones that I think I would really love to kind of point out is also given the fact that they've evidenced it based on some of the great companies that they've created or founders who are extremely open-minded, very consistent in seeking lifelong journey of learning uh, mechanisms, and I tend to call them the keen learners. So these are people who also often are seen as serial entrepreneurs in somewhat of a sense. Now, many times I've heard people describe you know, serial entrepreneurs to be people who isn't quite great at managing and they move on quite quickly because they aren't really committed or also simply because they're being pointed out as just too much of a visionary. Now, this is also precisely from the research that I've been able to put together was that they're actually the reason why they're great matches for startups. If you think about it, nobody ever really comes out of a startup and say, well, that's exactly how I envision it to be. And it was at an absolute perfection to a dream job that I've ever had. Not really, right? So a lot of people, even you know, at the end of the day, they count themselves lucky coming out of a startup unscathed. And then they found that per their reflection of those experiences that I've made during those time, they probably also then realized that they've worked with a founder who was, number one, very, very keen on changes and never really allowed themselves to stop because of their strong self-awareness that they have. So this is a really strong personality trait that I've been able to kind of pull together. And a lot of these great stories that most of the interviewers have been able to give me. For example, I would also kind of describe them to be a complete opposite of people like the unlearners, another type of founder that I've described. And these are people who have 
either done or operated in the same way for a long time as they've always had, regardless of how times have changed and continue to then show this unwillingness to ride the wave of change. So ultimately, what I found is self-awareness really plays a huge part here. And it's one of those really key personality traits that are assets for startups. How can personality affect company culture specifically, perhaps give an example? Culture in the first place is actually a representation of how you behave collectively. So it's never really just one person, right? And the behavior, whether or not it's allowed, encouraged, has to come from somewhere. It has to stem from somewhere. So technically, personality is basically your natural composure of how you would, number one, react to certain situations, how you process these emotions associated with it, for example, and ultimately how your actions then affect the people around you. So if a founder coming from a quite traditional pyramid um, hierarchy, as you can imagine, and their very behavior sets the tone for the company's culture to evolve. And when it's a poorly behaved founder, for example, the outcome is that culture is probably going to be quite toxic. And what I mean by that is you might find it to be in a place where people aren't exactly working with each other collectively or collaboratively for the greater good or for the collective success of the company because of either they are on a one-way street where they're working towards a paycheck, they're working towards a bigger bonus, or maybe just at everybody's expense. That is when poor behaviors turn into this culture. But when you know, you meet a founder who only really cares about profit and nothing else, then everyone else is just really hired to achieve that very goal for them, right? But when you find a founder who is, say, very passionate about their company that they're building, and I always like to quote this, like what Simon Sinek says, you're working on the why rather than the what, then naturally your intrinsic motivation will either attract the same kind of people to go on this journey with you, or it gets passed down to the employees as they join the company. So you end up building this company together collectively. And that's how I see those kind of personality affecting the culture that they're building. So in these type of companies, you hear a singular tone and they're either you know, using words like we are committed, we have a mission and we have a purpose. So at the end of the day, I truly believe that. And also from what I've been able to see, it's similar to how children may learn or pick up behaviors from their parents. And it's exactly how employees learn directly from their leaders. Oh, fascinating that that comparison with uh, children and parents. Sophie, can you share some examples of organizations whose culture was really damaged, severely damaged by their founders? Earlier in our discussion, you talked about negatively impacting culture. Mm. So can you talk a little bit about that? In the book, I did talk about a type of founder that was called the Gen Z type. And this was directly associated to one of the stories and example that I've actually put in the book. It's a UK company or a UK startup that's been operating for a good number of years now. And it's called Pollen, for example. And they were doing a lot of revolutionary things for their customers, for sure. But they weren't doing the same things towards their employees. So, for example, when a founder explicitly kind of creates a layer of nepotism and expects over 500 people or 500 employees in their company to be okay with it by kind of painting a really nice gloss over it, then the culture itself is really going to be toxic. 
I'm talking about, you know, an environment where people will probably take the wrong path to achieve progression in their career, you know, people who would behave poorly just to get a pay rise. And I say that because I was there firsthand with some experience, but at the same time, over the years after leaving the company, when I was doing research on the book, their most recent Glassdoor reviews have also further solidified my understanding of that culture. So for me, what I see is their leaders and any other managers that would have been created or you know brought into the culture would have learned that this behavior was acceptable. And what happens at the end is they end up creating their own very similar subcultures within their own teams. So it ends up becoming unmanageable. So that is one of the example. Another one of the example is there's a fintech who started off here in the UK. It's called Revolut and it's no mystery and it's no secret that it's been years they've been called out for the notorious behaviors and how they treat people. And, you know, where do you think this stems from, either from the top or from legacies? But they also continue to be one of the highest valued fintechs in the world. And, you know, we in the ecosystem itself continue to allow this kind of poor behavior to fester. So a culture where people are kind of cult assets because they're literally seen as office furniture, for example, is probably one of the reasons why they move faster than any of their competition. It's very admirable for a lot of people to see them churn out features day in, day out, but really at the expense of the people. And I think a lot of people kind of just blink an eye and walk past it and never really call them out for it anymore. So I think that's where the real focus should be. So you've associated a name for that type of leader with the name Gen Z. Is that correct? Yes, that's right. Do you think it's controversial since it's the name of a generation? Yeah. So, so in the book as well, I actually did define and made it quite clear that I'm not calling out an entire generation. It's how the behavior was stemmed from a founder who specifically thought that he would be able to kind of make excuses for the behaviors because he was from a certain generation. So in all honesty, that chapter was dedicated to avoid the misperception that this becomes acceptable for a generation that has been socialized to have poor behaviors. So let's go back to psychology and behaviors. And I want to look at employees' perspective, right? So hmm. most psychologists would agree that personality is fairly stable throughout someone's life. So the way you are as a young adult tends to be similar to the way you are as you age. Hmm. And so it's fairly difficult to change one's personality. So how can employees cope with a founder's destructive personality, knowing that it's hard to change? Yeah, I, I love this question. I think they're definitely right, right? Some of these behaviors, however, are in fact circumstantial. So they are either environmentally influenced or they come from a certain sense of pressure. For example, I don't tend to go into a rabbit hole to investigate if a founder has had a really poor experience and so in the past and therefore they're now out for revenge because I don't think knowing that would make us feel any better about it, nor does it make it more okay. So for me instead, when I investigated in these kind of scenarios, I have found that founders behave a certain way in essence to, to defend themselves from the pain or whatever the challenge it is in front of them that are causing. So in all honesty, founders are also described as very lonely people. 
And at the end of the day, they also report to someone, although usually they're right at the top of the chain. They report to people like the board or the investors. So it could very well stem from this kind of environment as well. So back to your question around how employees can kind of navigate themselves or cope with this kind of destructive personality is as an employee, myself included, I tend not to overcomplicate the situation by taking it on emotionally. For example, if I'm treating a certain way that I dislike, I don't think about why this person doesn't like me. It should actually be pivoted into, I don't enjoy being here anymore because number one, I'm not doing my best work given the environment. Two, the tone doesn't suit me. Or maybe at the end of the day, it's just simple as the people I'm surrounded by, I don't actually enjoy their behaviors. So for me, really, the conclusion out of the research that I've been able to put together is when employees are actually able to stop feeling bad for themselves, that the situation that they're in is being caused by themselves, then they can really drive changes and finally break that cycle. So that's why the book is also itself written purely from an employee's point of view. So do you suggest the employees to leave in that situation? I believe employees need to make the right decisions for themselves. For example, if it is the wrong environment, and that's why I would encourage them to ask questions like, am I doing my best work here? So if there are situations where you believe, if I stand up for myself and I can make changes in this place, and I know that if I do not tolerate or I can call out the bad behaviors, it may lead me to a slightly different environment that can then allow me to do my best work, then I would say go for it. If you feel like this is not a battle for you and you do not have the support system or the resources to actually fight this battle or, in fact, drive the same changes as I would like to see, then probably the place is also not for you. So I'm not telling people to leave their jobs, but I believe we need to have an inner look at ourselves to help ourselves feel that we did not cause this and we should not be in a situation where we're uncomfortable. How do you think HR professionals can help in making sure that a founder's personality enhances the culture of the organization? Yeah, that's a great question again. A lot of my learnings, including my findings as well, actually came from my role, which is the very nature of being in HR means I sometimes do have a privilege of having a much deeper insight into the mechanics of what makes our founders tick. So, if HR can work with leaders in the company to be the first ones willing to call out bad behaviors and then very quickly offer course correction, I think a lot of these cautionary tales can be avoided. But if we choose to stay in the background, as we're often told to, then we're not going to be able to use this privileged insight to actually bring upon any good. And I think this is where we should start from. And if HR also, for example, is working with great founders already, like you say, how can we enhance that culture is if we found a great founder that kind of ticks all the boxes, is good for the company's direction, is doing the right thing. And then I believe as HR, the best way forward is to work in tandem in a partnership to create more spaces, more opportunities to amplify this good behavior until it is naturally exhibited in our employees. So an example would be if a founder is someone who's honest and loves transparency, let's not stop there. Let's create the right cadence for the company and for the very founder to lead this way. 
create Q&A sessions so people can see how comfortable it can be by just being honest. And I think simple things like this, especially falling into a HR's responsibility, is really going to go a long way. Thank you, Sophie, for your insights on how the personality of a startup founder can shape the experience of employees and the culture of an organization and enjoy the location where you are currently, the city of Barcelona, which is notoriously sunny. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for having me. I mean, I, I love having these kind of conversations. I really, really, truly believe that we need to have a much more thorough understanding that when a culture gets affected, the impact isn't just directly to the employees, because as part of the research that I've been able to put together is also the impact outward on the entire ecosystem. So I think, you know, if we stop thinking that this is just a company problem, we're actually going to go a long way and help each other kind of figure out solutions so that this should not happen to other people and become a lot more proactively avoiding it. Thank you for your insight, Sophie. No problem. Support for this show comes from Western Carolina University, a campus of the University of North Carolina system, with the technical assistance of Kelly Minnis.